Great honor to be here in your new building. This is absolutely incredible. I think you've been in here four weeks, and uh, I just can't believe how wonderful this building is. It's incredible. Sammy brought me up here like three or four years ago and walked me around and said, it's, this is going to be here, this is going to be that, and I'm like, okay. Uh, I was having a little trouble seeing it, and maybe some of you had a little trouble seeing it, but this is so incredible and so wonderful, and I just want to thank everybody in this church, just applaud everybody that did such a good job working on this, and Mark over here was a part of it, and uh, most everybody in this church just helped to put this together. And this is just such a beautiful place. So I want to congratulate you on that. And Sammy's leadership and kind of bringing us up on the hill here in Tyler is absolutely great. How many appreciate Sam? Just give him a big hand. <laughs> Nothing happens without leadership. That's absolutely true. And Sammy is a natural leader. When we were in second grade together, I may have told you the story, we... Sam and I grew up together and went to school together. Second grade, we had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Edgel, and she was really, uh, really, really old. I think she was, she actually saw dinosaurs, I think. I believe that. She was a very old woman. And one day she was teaching, and she happened to leave the, her desk drawer open, and she was writing on the chalkboard, and she tripped over her desk drawer and fell out in front of us second graders. And nobody knew what to do. We just sat there, and there's our teacher wallowing on the floor there. And uh, of 30 kids sitting there not knowing what to do, Sammy Fisher gets up, runs out the door, runs to the nurse's uh, station there, brings the nurse back and saves the day. And uh, there's something about Sammy. He's a leader. He knows what to do. And you're very fortunate to have a great leader, and uh, he's just a very, very dear friend, and uh, we just love and appreciate him. And I just really, just really enjoy, Karen and I both enjoy being around a vet. She's so much fun, and she's just crazy, and we just love her. And uh, she just, I, I love people that are honest and real, and there's like, there's not more a real person in this world than you vet. I'm like... I never know what she's going to say, and I'm just like always on my... Well, while we were worshiping this morning, I had a, you know, had a little vision, uh, and uh, I was so thankful for that, that I had a vision, because the Bible says that young men have visions and old men dream dreams, and I don't know what that means about Corey, he had that dream and all that, I'm like, okay, thank God I didn't have the dream, I'm going for the vision, you know? But I was standing here while Bradley and Ashley and the team did such a wonderful job, and uh, I was standing there worshiping, and I just had this little vision, little picture of a, of a, soccer, uh, of a soccer game, and, and these young boys just kind of kicking the ball down the field. And the Lord just gave me one of those little whispers, and he said that, you know, I asked him, so Lord, why am I here today? And he said, well, you're just, you're helping kick the ball down the field a little bit. And he said, I want you to tell this church that this, this church is headed in the right direction. In a soccer game, you know, the goal is to push that ball toward the goal. And this church is something very healthy and good that's happened. You're sort of pushing the ball toward the goal that God has for you, and you're on target. So that's a good thing to know. And, uh, you know, I've been to churches before where you feel like, I don't know where they're headed, but it just doesn't feel right, and uh, there's something very healthy here. So I just want to commend you on that, and just something really, really good. And uh, so I want to just do a little teaching here this morning. I'm a little bit of a teacher, and um, so I want to just talk to you a little bit about stuff that I've been thinking about lately, and I think it's applicable to you. I've been praying about coming here for, uh, I knew I was going to come here a couple months ago, so I've been praying about it. So I want to read one text to you, 
And we're just going to kind of like look at some stuff in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And uh, so we're going to just give ourselves to a little time in the Word. I think a good church has great worship where the Holy Spirit moves and God is doing fresh things. And I think a great church also is committed to the ancient scriptures where they teach the scripture because the scripture is what gives you an anchor in life. Uh, And uh, we have great services, but what really carries the day in our life is when we're really anchored in scripture. So I want to do a little teaching about about, uh, uh, scripture this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. So we're just going to we're just going to read a little bit and talk a little bit. Acts 42, 42 through 47, one of the most um, famous passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Uh, this is a portrait of the early church, what the early church looked like. And when we say the early church or the primitive church, we're always talking about the church that is in the book of Acts, that sort of initial followers of Jesus. And it says this, Acts 2, 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, one of the things that amazes me about the early church is is this fact. They didn't have anything that we have. They didn't have computers. They didn't have a beautiful building like this. They didn't have drum sets, keyboards, they didn't have screens, they didn't have, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have airplanes, they didn't have, they didn't have any technological advantages that you and I have. They had nothing. And, and here, this was a church that was primitive with no technological tools, yet they, in several generations, saturated the Roman Empire with Christians. And when Constantine became uh, maybe an authentic Christian in 312 AD, he had that vision before the Battle of the Mavilion Bridge and all that, and he became you know, a follower of Jesus, he decided to turn the empire, the Roman Empire, toward Christianity. And the reason he did that was not simply because he had become more inclined to follow Jesus and more interested in Jesus. He was a pragmatist. He was a very practical politician. And the reason he did that was there were so many Christians in the Roman Empire that he thought one way to unify the the Roman Empire was to unify it around this big block of population now, the people that were following Jesus. So it was very practical. That's one of the reasons he did that. And when he made uh, Christianity sort of the centerpiece of the Roman Empire, it was to acknowledge the fact that this primitive church had been successful in expanding all over uh, Asia Minor, which is now you know, Turkey and all the known lands. And so he had this incredible success. The, the early church had that incredible success. So I have to ask myself the question, How did they do that? How did they do that? And I think one of the things that you and I have to think about is how can we get back to being a church like this church we read in the book of Acts, and what was it that made them so successful? What was it 
that made them, without the computers, without the great lighting, without all the tools that we have, what made them successful? And how were they able to influence culture in a, in a, in a, in a way that was completely uh, unprecedented? I think really when we think about the book of Acts and we think about uh, this kind of church that we are envisioning here is that we kind of look at this church, we look at the portrait in the book of Acts, and I think we have to begin to emulate some of the basic things that they emulated and the things that they did. I remember reading a book a couple years ago by um, John Ogilvie, who was the chaplain of the Senate, and he wrote a book, Making Stress Work for You. It was a really, really good book, and I read the book. And one of the things I remember about the book, he told that story in the book about the, uh, about the hunchback prince, the Greek hunchback prince. And the Greek hunchback prince was one day going to be, gonna become king, and he had this deformity and he was sort of bent over, and he was uh, oppressed with the fact that one day he was going to be a king, but yet he was deformed, and he didn't look the way he needed to look. And so what this prince did, this hunchback prince, is that he made a statue of himself made of marble where he stood completely erect. And every day, the hunchback prince would go to that erect marble statue of himself and he would lean against it, and he would try to straighten himself up. And he did that week after week, month after month, year after year, until one day, as he was stretching, he felt cold marble touch his shoulder blades. He had become straight. And what I think is the modern church is deformed to a degree. I don't think we're shaped the way we need to be shaped. And I think when we look at the book of Acts, we see what the church is supposed to be like. And the process that you and I go through is now we have to begin to emulate these things that the early church did and the early church operated in. And what was it? What was, it the, what was the key to their amazing success where they were able to do these incredible things and change the world that they lived in? Well, first thing it says about them is they were devoted. Everybody say the word devoted. Say devoted. They devoted themselves. Now, that word means to hold strongly to something, to hold strongly to something. I was on the airplane yesterday flying from North Virginia, flying to Atlanta, then from Atlanta to, to Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, I was amazed how many Dallas Cowboy fans were on the airplane flying here to see the game tonight uh, when, when you guys play the Chicago Bears. And uh, how many Cowboy fans are in the audience? We got some Cowboy fans here. You know, that's, that's incredible, and I, I'm, I, you know, when I'm here, I'm a cowboy fan. I'm all about the cowboys here, you know. I live in, like, Ravens country and Redskins country, and I don't want to be cussing in the church or saying that, but, but uh, you know, one thing about uh, football season, when football season started, uh, when you think about football, football uh, running back, what a running back has to do is that he has to hold tenaciously onto the football so he doesn't lose the ball. And there's all kinds of defenders that are trying to strip the ball from him and take the ball from him. And he's holding on to that ball tenaciously, making sure he doesn't lose that ball and it's, he doesn't cause a fumble. And so he's holding on to it. That word devoted in the Greek, that's what it means. It means to hold on to something strongly. 
that they were committed to something. They were, the early church was committed to listening to the apostles teach. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed to, to getting together. And they were committed to liquidating their assets and taking care of people. They were a radical church that just gave themselves fully to the passion and the work of the Lord. And so they were tenaciously holding on to these practices, the practice of listening to the apostles teach, listening to the apostles communicate. And they were committed to fellowship. You guys are starting men's groups and ladies' groups this week. And the early church, the the idea of being devoted is that they held strongly to that. They were committed to it. They were were tenaciously locked into that. And the word also means they continued to do it. They didn't do it for a short time, but they continued to do it. It was, it was, there was longevity in their disciplines. And so they, they constantly listened to the apostles teach. They constantly went to fellowship. They constantly cared for each other. There was this sense of consistency in their activities, and they consistently uh, did what they were called to do. They were committed to it. And so say this with me. To be devoted is to hold firmly to something and to continue and be persistent in good discipline. There is, here it is, here's the big line today. There is no transformation in our lives without persistence. There is no transformation in our lives without persistence. People that come to church once a month, you know, maybe twice a month, and and they like hit and miss with fellowship and all that. There is no transformation without persistence. It's at the early church They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were committed to it. They were continuously doing that. I just did a funeral um, before I I left to come up here. Wonderful man in our church, a guy named Tom. He's 56 years old, died of a a, 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 a serious illness, obviously, and uh, had a brain tumor. And uh, this is a guy that I've pastored for decades. Uh, he and his wife came to the church, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And when he came there, he loved Jesus, but he was edgy. He was edgy. He was mean. He was intense. He was just one of those guys that he just said things that made you want to punch him. You ever had anybody like that? He was just really kind of like, he was very, very short with his wife and intense. And he was argumentative and combative and cantankerous. He was just a mess. His wife and he came into uh, counseling, marriage counseling, to see me, and we talked, and we worked on their marriage, and, uh, and his wife and her son, they, he was a, they had a blended family, uh, his wife and her son, I mean, they were ready to leave, and I remember sitting and counseling with them and talking to them, and, and I said to the wife, I said, you know, I said, Tom, is, he's just... He's a piece of work. I said, you know, really. I said, you have every right to leave. You have every right to leave. I said, but if you hang in there, because he wants to work at this marriage, if you hang in there, the rewards will be generational for you. And I just said that to her. And and you know how it is that Sammy does counseling and you talk to people and you wonder if people hear what you say. And I I said that. I had no idea if she really heard that. 
But she took that to heart and she hung in there. And Tom, as edgy and as angry and as sort of, you know, uh, obnoxious as he was, he loved Jesus and he kept coming to church. He kept coming to church every Sunday. He was in men's group. He just was devoted to Jesus even though he had all this baggage. He kept coming and coming and coming. And I saw that man transformed. In the last 10 years, in fact, Nancy said to me before I did the funeral, she said the last 10 years of our marriage had been heaven on earth. And this man who I would classify when I first met him, intense, angry, obnoxious, when, when he died those last 5, 10 years that I was walking with him and doing life with him and church and all that, the word that I would give to him was gentle. He was gentle. He was kind. He was godly. Do you know, you know why that happened? That happened because of persistence. Persistence equals transformation. Persistence equals transformation. Keep coming to church. You know, you, you know, how many, how many had some stuff in you? How many sinned a little bit this week? You got, you, there's some edgy stuff in you. You said, raise your hand if you just sinned. I mean, there was somebody in front of you that did not act right in the, in the, in the, in, on the interstate and just a little bit of non-Jesus came out of you. Something. <laughs> and you know what, what happens is, is God changes us. How did the early church transform the world? They transformed the world by being transformed themselves. We cannot transform culture until we ourselves are transformed. Now, let me just say something. I felt like the Lord tapped, this, tapped me on the shoulder to say this this morning, and I'm not sure I want to say this, but I'm just going to say this because I'm going to Delaware on Tuesday, so I'm good. <laughs> and I'm all about, you know, the election and reading and and, and, you know, finding out about the candidates, and I'm going to watch the debate tomorrow night with popcorn. I'm going to be watching this. I'm in, I, I want to do all that. And every time we have an electional cycle, Christians get all rung up about it. They put all their eggs in the basket of politics, and they say, boy, if we can just get the right person elected, we're going to change this country. I'm here to tell you, I don't believe that for a nanosecond. I don't believe that politics is the answer to this country. I believe that a transformed church that's used by, that's run by people that are transformed will transform our culture and the answer to America's problems is not the White House it's in this house can you say big amen <laughs> some of you clapping I'm not sure I believe that but I'm gonna clap anyhow hey just hey listen transformation in us is the key to transforming the world around us. And I hope your, your candidate wins. I hope it wins. I hope Mike, I hope we all, I hope we, it all works out for us. But let me tell you something. The change in America is not a legislative issue. It's an issue where the church becomes the church again. We become like the church in the book of Acts and we are able to transform the world around us. So we need to be devoted, devoted, committed to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted they devoted themselves because persistence leads to transformation. Persistence leads to transformation. Devotion is equal to persistence. Now, I, I've been working on this thing lately. 
I, I, I gained a little bit of weight. I used to be a weight, weight Watcher person. Anybody here ever gone to Weight Watchers? Anybody ever gone to Weight Watchers? I had the, you know, the lifetime membership and reached my goal and all that. And then, and then you know, I, I wasn't in my goal anymore. I, I was out a little bit. And just one cookie at a time. <laughs> How many know that one cookie is good, but two cookies are better? <laughs> and if two cookies are better... Four cookies are great. Can you say a big amen? So I've been like eating them cookies. And I mean, I was just getting, you know, nothing was fit real good and all that. So like about five or six weeks ago, I feel good. I got I to get with it. Man, I got to do better. And I got this little app on my phone. It traces everything I eat. And then we have a treadmill in the garage that we store things on. So we have this treadmill. <laughs> so I got this treadmill. And, you know, I had to clear all the stuff off of it and see if it worked again and get the dust off of it. And so I started working on that treadmill. And I pushed that little button on the treadmill. It's got a weight loss button, and you push on it, and it has different elevations. And I pushed the, the, the speed I want. And I started five, and I turned the thing on, and I start running. And then the number comes up. And it says 30 minutes. And i got to stay on that treadmill for 30 minutes. And I'm running... And I close my eyes because it seems like it's taking forever. And I think, how long have I been on here? I mean, it just seems I just close my eyes. I can't even look at that time. I just got to get through this. And I open my eyes and I've been on there 45 seconds. I mean, <laughs> I got to stay on that treadmill. Man, I stay on it and I run and I run and I want to, I'm hurting and I don't, and I'm sweats running down and I'm praying for Jesus to come take me off this treadmill. And I want to push the stop button. But I know that persistence equals transformation. If I stay on the treadmill for 30 minutes and I keep doing it, man, I'm telling you what, I'm going to lose some weight. And I'm just, my wife is just going to knock me down the hallway when she sees me walk down there. So what was it about this early church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. What does that mean? That's not magical. This happened after the day of Pentecost. When you read this part of Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and you know, the speaking in tongues and the incredible supernatural element of the church, which we all love and we experienced this morning. And you see that uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, poured out and, and this great, great experience. And then you go from the experience to the devotion. And the devotion is listening to the apostles teach, going to fellowship, going to Bible study and doing all of that. And it was not, the early church was not only an experience-oriented church. Because experiences are not enough to transform us. It has to be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoting ourselves to scripture. Devoting ourselves to devotions. Devoting ourselves to listen to Pastor Sam. You guys have these wonderful services. And Pastor Sam gets up and he's teaching out of Joshua and he's teaching on taking the promised land and he's teaching line and line. He's teaching that. That type of environment filled with the Holy Spirit and devotion to the apostles' teaching is what will transform us. Transformation 
is always connected to persistence. And what I think is, is in the modern church, we want, we want amazing experiences all the time without the treadmill. And I'm here to tell you, I was raised in a church, and I love my, my roots. I was raised in a church with an experience-based church, and we look for experiences to transform us, and experiences alone will not transform us. We need connections with God. We need experiences with God. But then you got to sit your tail in the chair, and you got to read the Bible, and you got to sit there, and you got to listen. I, I'm sorry, did I say tail? I think that's probably not a good word to say. How many will forgive me for saying that? You have to sit yourselves in the chair, <laughs> devote yourselves, stay with it. And uh, so that's, that's a big part of what the early church did. And I love the practical side of this because the practical side of the early church is, is that they were, just, they were just devoted. They were committed. They were persistent. And they were transformed before they transformed the world around them. Another thing about the early church is, is, is I think that if you were to ask what was it behind all of this devotion, I think it was an incredible passion for Jesus. They were passionate for Jesus. They loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. There was, there was, there was a passion in their motivation and, and I thought to myself, if, if, they, if people had to give one word to describe my church that I pastor in Delaware, uh, Bayshore Community Church, what word would they label my church? I'm not sure they would say passion. They were passionate. If there was one word that you had to label this church, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you, you would be named, would be labeled passionate. But what was it about the early church is they were, they were just passionate about Jesus. They just loved Jesus. It wasn't they just came to church and they did the church thing, but they loved Jesus in their homes. They loved Jesus when they were in the marketplace. They just were passionate about Jesus. And the Lord added to their church daily those that were being saved because it was the, the spirit of the early churches. They were so incredibly passionate about the things of God is that people were just drawn to the excitement of them. They were so, so passionate about, about Jesus. And I want you just to lift your hands right now and say, Jesus, make me passionate about you, not just in church, but in the grocery store and at work and every part of my life. So it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to have, got to be passionate in your heart. You got to be passionate about the things of the Lord. You got to be absolutely thrilled and passionate about Jesus and Jesus working in your church and Jesus working in, in your family's life. And uh, Karen, uh, Karen and I, my wife Karen and I just, uh, in fact, when I came here, I flew from uh, Norfolk, Virginia. I live in Delaware, but uh, my family and I had been vacationing in the Outer Banks of North Carolina in Rodanthe, which we go through every year. Beautiful, beautiful place. So we're there, and it's Karen and I, and our two sons and their wives and their children, and we had three grandchildren, and uh, we have a little, uh, little Nixon that's our youngest. He's a year and a half, and then we've got Nora, his sister, who's about three, and then my oldest granddaughter is six years old. 
So for about six days, I'm just, the grandkids are just hanging on me. We're just having a good time. We're playing the pool. We're going to the beach, and we're just having such a great time. But my oldest granddaughter, Willow, is, Willow is like really, she's like got a scientific mind. She just loves nature. She's not afraid of bugs or snakes or anything. And so every night she said, uh, she said, Papa, let's go out and catch these little frogs, these little nocturnal frogs that are all around the beach house, and they would be sticking on the cars and on the, on the decking and all that. And, and so the first night she, she drug me out there, and we're, with a flashlight we're trying to catch these little nocturnal frogs, that these little tiny frogs, they're not, they're not toads, but they're these little like tree frogs, and we're catching them, we're putting them in this little container, and we see how many we can catch them, we let them go and, and uh, have a good time. So the next night, uh, my youngest granddaughter, Nora, and here's a picture of Nora, me and Nora, and uh, that's Nora there. Nora is, uh, she, she is a pistol, she's amazing. So Nora is, uh, like I said, she's three, and she heard about me and Willow doing it. So she said, Papa, I want to go frog hunting. So, so the next night, it's me, Willow, and Nora out there hunting frogs. And Nora, you know, she didn't have a flashlight, so I gave her the light on my smartphone, and she's got my smartphone, and she's going around looking on the cars, and we're catching these frogs, and she's having the time of her life. She comes up, and she tells she tells everybody, you know, tells her, uh, uh, Karen's sister uh, and tells everybody else how amazing it was for catching those frogs. And so the next night, she says to Karen's sister, who's about 65, uh, Barbara, and she says, Nora says, we're going frog hunting. We're going frog hunting. You want to come? And so the next night, the whole family, all 12 of us, are down there catching these frogs. And it's amazing. Nora has led the whole thing because she, frog hunting has changed her life. <laughs> she loves these frogs. She's passionate about it. She tells everybody and she's persuaded everybody. And once Nora gets on something and she's excited about it, everybody's in. We're all following Nora because she's a little leader. And we're all catching these frogs. When I, think about, when I think about following Jesus, following Jesus should not be, okay, I need to tell somebody about Jesus today, check it off the list. It should not be robotic, but it should be organic. That we love Jesus so much that we tell everybody, frog hunting's great. You want to go frog hunting? And you persuade people. I was in... Um, Hagar, the other day, a store, it was, well, actually, uh, last uh, early summer, right before Father's Day, I was in uh, the outlets near where I live in the Hagar store, and I only go to Hagar store once a year, or actually twice a year, because my dad, uh, he loves the Hagar clothes, and so for his Father's Day gift and for Christmas, I always go buy him some stuff at Hagar. So I'm in Hagar, and I'm, I'm shopping, and, uh, you know, picking my dad out some stuff, or Father's Day, this, this kid comes up to me. He's probably early 20s. He said, he said, I know who you are. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you're that preacher at Bayshore. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm that preacher at Bayshore. He said, let me tell you something. He said, he said, two years ago, I came to Bayshore. A guy named Harold invited me to come. And Harold, this is this young guy, early 20s, loves Jesus, wild about Jesus, just loves and passionate about Jesus. 
And uh, he invited this kid to come. He said, you preached, and here's what you preached on. He said, that Sunday I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, now I'm in seminary, and I'm getting ready for ministry. And he said, I want you to know how much Harold meant to me because he was so real when he invited me to come to church. And I came to church. I got saved. And I'm in seminary, and I'm preparing for ministry. And this kid just loves Jesus. He just couldn't talk to me enough about Jesus. And I said to him, does this mean I get a discount on my dad's clothes? <laughs> you know, the early church wasn't like, okay, we need to tell somebody about Jesus now. They weren't robotic. It wasn't like that. It was organic. It was in their heart. They loved Jesus. They were passionate about Jesus. They cared about Jesus. And they couldn't just escape the fact that frog hunting was so excited that they had to tell everybody about it and get everybody involved. This is a great church. This is a great church. The Holy Spirit's moving here. And, and you don't just need to come and have a good time. You need to tell other people, hey, listen, it's a lot of fun to go hunt frogs. It's a lot of fun. When Karen and I moved to uh, Pensacola years ago, when we went to Pensacola, Florida to, for my ministerial training, the school I went to, we had a great church that was part of the school, uh, Liberty Church in Pensacola, about 1,500 people in that time. It's just a wonderful church, and Holy Spirit's moving, much, much like this service that we had here today. Karen and I, we just, we just were in our early 20s. We loved Jesus. We were just so excited about life and so excited about what the Lord had for us and, and what he was going to do in our life. And, and uh, so I thought to myself, this is the greatest church I've ever been in. I want to get everybody I can to come to church. I mean, I'm going to tell them about this church. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So I started inviting people, and I was new to town. I didn't know anybody, so my influence was like zero because I didn't know anybody, and nobody knew me, and I wasn't having any success. And one day, I'm working, doing my homework, and Karen's at work, and I'm working on my schoolwork, and I look out the window of the little mobile home we lived in, and there's a guy walking down the street street and he's a you know older guy and he's got a cane he's walking along and I'm sitting there I'm studying hermeneutics or whatever I'm having to study for Bible college I'm studying this and taking notes and I see this guy walk by and I had that little shoulder tap and the Lord said go out and talk to that guy so I went out to him and I said I introduced myself, and I said, he said, I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Mr. Coons. And I said, well, Mr. Coons, I said, I'm new to town. I said, I've only been here like three months. And he said, you know, we go to this great church, and we just love this church, and it just, it's just wonderful. Would you want to come to church with us on Sunday? And Mr. Coons said, well, I believe I would. I believe I would. And I said, where do you live? He said, well, I lived down this little street down the road from you, and he lived in the same mobile park I lived in. And so we picked him up, and we picked him up. Karen and I picked him up and got him in the car there, and he had an old suit on, and uh, his fingers were all yellow from smoking. He was a smoker, and his suit had ash on it, and we drove him to church, and uh, we sat on the third row, and it was just one of those wonderful services. Everybody's raising their hand. The pastor preached great, and the Holy Spirit was moving, and, and he, he came. And, and so I said to him on the way home, I said, Mr. Coons, what did you think of that? It's all right. I said, well, Mr. Coons, you want to come next week? He said, I believe I would. I'd like to come. So I picked him up the next week. We took Mr. Coons, took him the next week, the next week. He kept going and going, and I never could tell if he liked the service. And one day, 
where they're having this wonderful service at the end of the service of raising their hands and worshiping the Lord and just loving Jesus and just having this wonderful time. And I looked there, and Mr. Coons was gone. I thought, oh, my goodness, I've lost this old man. His parents are going to kill, or his kids are going to kill me. And I looked around, where's Mr. Coons? Where's Mr. Coons? I looked up, and there he was at the front. He's standing there with one of the elders in front, and he was giving his life to Jesus, and he was following Jesus, and he became a follower of Jesus, and he went to church with us ever since and, and all that. Let me tell you something. The early church was just, it was just like that. It's just like that. People love Jesus. They love their church. They wanted other people to be a part of that. And they just kind of invited them in. They kept growing themselves spiritually, persistently. They listened to the word. They were transformed. As they transformed, were transformed. They transformed the world around them. And then they had this authentic passion where they loved Jesus. And their authentic passion was like Nora saying, hey, let's go frog hunting. It's so incredible. And so what I want to say to this church on this, on this Sunday as you start this new adventure in this building is that is this is a very unique season in your, in your life. And be persistent. Be committed. How many love your church and you want to continue to grow here? Would you say a big amen right now? Amen. You love this church. You want to keep growing here. Amen. So I want you to say this with me. Persistence. Equals transformation. transformation. Genuine passion passion. is contagious. contagious. And my passion for Jesus Jesus needs to impact impact the people in my life. Lift your hands to the Lord this morning and let the Holy Spirit move and speak to you. We thank you, God, for the simple word you speak to our hearts this morning. We thank you that this church is pushing the soccer ball down the field toward the goal, that it's headed in the right direction and that you're blessing this church, you're blessing the leadership of this church, and we thank you for this community, and we thank you for the authenticity of the faith of people in this church, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will just pour out your amazing grace upon this church and bless this church in a powerful way we ask this in Jesus' name.